1: Welcome to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Well, we're going to get right into today's interview. You know, it's a week of Fourth of July, so we want to just kind of keep things moving along here. And we're continuing an interview we had yesterday, Joe Dancy, energy educator and expert. Talks about some renewable energy issues when it comes to trying to transfer one economy to the next and one society to the next and a few other things. So uh, we had part of it yesterday where we talked about a number of different innovations. Well, today we're going to talk about how to implement some of those innovations. This is Joe Dancy. He's an energy educator and expert out of SMU, Southern Methodist University, this is Joe Dancy. Well,
2: I, it, it is interesting, and I, I'm not sure the industry knows how to respond, or the regulators. And I mean, it's a, it's a concern across the board because these folks all know, like you and I, how important energy is, and how the good jobs, how it generates good jobs. But how, how do you sell this to, you know, someone who's convinced that that global warming is a matter of life and death, and within 10 years we're all going to be dead? I mean, and literally there's people out there, Jason, I, mean, I had a hard time believing that people would actually believe that, but there are people who think within 10 years, you know, the earth's going to be 15 degrees warmer. And it is interesting. I, I've done some studies and this has been a number of years ago, but you know, we could take the you know, North America climate and drought cycles and you go back six or 700 years. And I was wondering how do you go back six or 700 years. We only you know, probably been on over here for you know, a few hundred years and you could do it with tree rings and which can give you um, some data as well as other scientific that determine, you know, temperatures and temperatures vary sub- substantially as well as the water cycles, which some people now are saying, gee, global warming is causing floods. Up in North Dakota and in Mississippi and everywhere else we need to control. It's interesting, you know to educate people. I'm not sure I'm really not sure industry has a handle. I'm not sure regulators have a handle. I could tell you educators don't have a handle uh, on it. And um, it, on your cell phone comment, that is sort of interesting. I agree with that. and one of the shocking things, I didn't realize this if you if you put um the consumer, the number of the amount of electricity that's consumed globally by country, the amount of electricity consumed by cell phones would be like number three behind China and the United States. <laughs> and so, if, oh, if, if but, cell but, phones, but here's what people don't
1: understand phones, about cell phones: it's a three uh, it's a it's a three prong attack. You've got um, the rare earth minerals, so you have all the mining and the rare earth minerals that are not very advantageous for the planet, right? Second, right. you have the manufacturing of the cell phones. So when you take into account all the energy that's needed to manufacture all the pieces and the equipment, et cetera, okay? And then number three, and this is the one that hardly anybody talks about, and this is why the uh, today's environmentalist has actually become the biggest polluter. This is another reason why we love Johnny Green is because it's the data centers the data centers, the amount of heat and the energy and the air conditioning it takes to to keep them cool is really that kind of that, um, you don't want to say dirty little secret, because you know what it is. But so the reason Johnny Green, we love him so much is because he's an all of the above uh, energy guy. He thinks every energy has a purpose because we need energy. Now, um, he happens to believe that wind was more, Um, efficient 100 years ago when farmers used it to get water and and, Uh. in comparison to today and so he calls a spade a spade there he says solar yeah they've done they've done okay but as far as being economical really all you can do is charge your cell phone and you know have some good camping equipment but as far as panels for your house no they're not there yet so it's it's not a deal Uh, natural gas he looks at as really more of a free energy because there's so much of it and this is where I wanted to ask you about the subsidies part. Imagine if we lived in a world where we took 50% or 100% of the subsidies towards solar and wind. They've had 40 years of social engineering and subsidies. 20 years, it's been ramped up, okay? They've really, by their standards, have, have failed. Like I said, the, the farmers were more efficient 100 years ago getting water out than what a wind turbine is today. And I don't think there's, you know, it's, it's, as far as efficiency goes, I feel very confident saying that. Not as a political statement, as a factual statement. Solar, same thing. We were supposed to be at a terawatt of storage. We're not there yet. Um, you know, there's, there's proof in California that when they try to rely on the wind and solar for the grid, it causes problems. And all of a sudden, um, the trees are getting burned because of um, the problems with the, with the uh, saggy transmission wires causing. Anyway, it's, it's, there's, there's more problems than what they're talking about. So if we shifted the subsidies to natural gas, I believe, and I'm going to have this conversation with senators and, and congressmen as well, U.S. senators and congressmen, that we could solve this flaring issue and we could come up with some new innovative things that would make this planet a totally different place with the plastics and fuels and just the innovation alone because these guys they're already using their own money to camp out on well sites and bitcoin mine up in Canada and come up with some new way to make um, trucks work on LNG do you know what i mean by that there's so many clever capitalists in the uh, um, natural gas world right now. Imagine if they got a little subsidy help.
2: Yeah, that could help a lot. Just, just pushing, uh, especially venture capital money. I know exports are. If, if you've seen the charts, I know you have. The exports of natural gas, either liquefied or, you know, obviously we're we're constrained by geography. You can't export gas by pipeline to Europe, but you can to Mexico. And Mexico. Huh, is a perfect example and i tell my students jason i mean the, the minerals down there are owned by the government and uh as such they haven't had as an aggressive exploration and development program as they saw in the united states or we've seen and so they actually are major importers of natural gas and you know of crude oil a lot of their their Cantorell field has was discovered in the late 70s and it's pretty well depleted now that's the offshore field and and uh just the when you when you have state owned minerals it's difficult to get economic incentives and people to take risks um you're you're focused on other other issues so um a a you know natural gas has a tremendous potential and i know oh god years ago it's been 20 now we did a bunch of research here in dallas uh I worked for the gas company as a lawyer and we did a lot of research in the compressed natural gas vehicles and i drove one back then it was actually a it's a gasoline and natural gas vehicle where you could flip a switch so you didn't get straight away and it uh it, it ran pretty darn well and uh, uh the problem is you had a big a big tank at the uh trunk and so your trunk was about half the size of the normal but uh in any event, the the technology I'm sure today is you know it's like a computer back then would it take up the whole trunk, and now it take up maybe a you know a sandwich size piece of uh, equipment versus what we had back then. So the technology and the the natural gas I mean you really could you could actually probably even push to have a a natural gas entrepreneurial institute or something to promote. You know, ideas like you just mentioned, you know, mining Bitcoin with natural gas
1: flaring. Mr. Joe Dancy, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment. We're going to take a brief pause. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Joe Dancy, energy expert and educator, currently with Southern Methodist University. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. Always been kept warm. I got
3: shelter.
4: the first full conversion refinery to be built in the US in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Jason Speece, the most trusted voice in the Bakken.
5: Let's bring in Jason Speece, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Jason, what's your thought on this? My dad always listens to Jason Speece.
4: No one does an interview like Jason Speece. Jason Spies is the most trusted voice in the Bakken. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online.
2: You know, I don't know what justifies being placed in history books, Jason, but in my book, it's in there. (laughs) This is a good thing. Is your boss watching this? You need a raise.
1: Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Joe Dancy, energy expert and educator, currently at Southern Methodist University. This is Joe Dancy.
2: Even pushed to have a a natural gas entrepreneurial institute or something to promote. You know, ideas like you just mentioned, you know, mining Bitcoin, natural gas flaring. Um, I will tell you, you know, natural gas flaring is still a major issue. And they're building out pipelines, but it's still a huge issue in Texas. And I know it's an issue in North Dakota. And the regulators and politicians and the companies are aware of it. And I, one of the things, going back to your public relations, this actually came up in Wisconsin. Somebody mentioned that, look, regardless of what the regulators do, from a company standpoint, you know, some of these thru- firms should just shut in your oil production until you have, because the flaring sends a terrible message to the public. Because you can see that, as you know, if you're driving out at night, you can see it five miles away. You look at the flare and it's like a, a message that, you know, we're wasting we're wasting our natural resource, we're um, polluting. But if you remove those, and, and they will be to a large extent, Reduced at least in the Permian over the next six months as we build out our pipeline system. If they're getting very close to getting things hooked up uh, to get it exported to the Gulf Coast and down to Mexico, uh, it uh, but it's not going to help natural gas markets. Natural gas oil prices as we started off. I'm pretty bullish on natural gas. I, I have much more concerns because we have so darn much of it, Jason. But the opportunities are there. The other thing that came up, I guess, at this Wisconsin Drilling Info uh, meeting was that you go to Germany and you look at all the renewable energy, and that's great. But they're paying three or four times what we pay for electricity in the United States. So if you want renewables, and if you really want to be green, and there's an argument, it's really not all that green because just you noted the lithium, the, the everything, the offshore wind turbines, the, the all the other – Alternatives are not all that green, but, you know, if you want to increase your price of, you know, your monthly electric bill by four times, you know, we can go, we can really push hard for renewables, but economically, natural gas gives us such an economic advantage for our economy, for our jobs, for our people, for our states, for our cities, you know, it makes no sense to to push as hard as, say, Germany has for uh, renewables. And they mentioned, you know, you could actually refine oil in you can refine oil in houston ship it all the way over to europe and undercut um the refineries over there because the crude oil is cheaper because we have a lot of you know just west texas is is a lot cheaper than brent electricity is a you know a third of the cost of what it is over there labor is probably about the same maybe a little cheaper and so uh you know you can put it on a barge or put it on a a ship and ship it all the way from Houston to um, France or Germany or Denmark and unload it, store it, ship it, and you're still going undercut the refineries over there. So the refineries in Europe have been in a world of hurt from what from what I heard. So we'll see.
1: My understanding is they, ter- they fired up the coal plants in Germany as well in the last month to satisfy some of the um, strain on the grid. So I mean it's it's tough you know because you just pretty much like you said the the one thing I don't think the American public understands is the increase in price that's going to come with uh, a shift to renewables. I mean it's going to I also one of the subsidies things I heard about the uh, shifting my my you know my conversation and this is I'm just trying to have a conversation about it just to shed some light that you know we, we could solve this natural gas problem and not only solve it but a lot like in North Dakota the flaring the mineral owners don't get paid so all of a sudden now you'd be giving local people mineral rights now they can go kind of have a nice little stimulus for their local economy as well and that's why I'm looking at the layers involved here because at least in North Dakota you know they're taxed I think 11 and a half percent so you got an oil tax and a production tax extraction tax and a production tax and then, and then you've got some fees and, you know, you've got the new normal with it, which is with attorneys now, it seems like with so many different things between archaeologicals and environmentalists. And it's just, there's, there's those. And then they always make sure they have enough money left over for the church bake sales and the kids make sure they got their little league and that sort of thing. And R and D just seems like it's, you know, so far down in the totem pole because things are going good without it, you know? And so I'm not trying to stick up for the energy companies. I'm not trying to shift subsidies over there. I'm just trying to have the conversation of what would a world look like if we did that? And Dr. Sterling Burnett, he said that the solar and wind um, companies would go out of business overnight. He goes, not in a week, not in a month. He goes, if 50% of their subsidies went away or 100%, he goes, overnight, they would go out of business. I didn't realize they were that reliant on um, subsidies.
2: Yeah, the tax, the tax uh, incentives are pretty <laughs> pretty substantial, and I was pretty shocked, too, because one of the things when I teach um, energy law is I, I actually teach the, these are going to be lawyers, but I, I think it's real important they understand the economics, because what I do is I give them a very basic cash flow model, and when you take, you know, you're spending a million dollars, and you get a 30% federal tax credit right up front, it's like, you know, dudes, you know, this is a huge amount. You don't get this in most investments. So you when you construct your model, you're not going to spend the money until you know you're going to get a return or your your investors aren't going to give you the money to spend until they know they're going to get a return. And when you have a 30 percent, I mean, that's just the federal. And then you go to the state. And I know the state of Texas, for, for example, solar, there's a number of um, local tax incentives that are also substantial so you start at 30 percent and you go upward and so when you have the government um subsidizing you know a major you know and not that that's been bad jason because it has developed an alternative source of energy that it it, all energy is good as far as getting it into the grid it's just a question of how efficient do we want to be or inefficient i sure don't want to be my electric bill is pretty reasonable in Dallas for in the, but you know if I took and multiplied it time four and said you know I'm, you're in Germany now multiply it by four, um, I wouldn't be really happy because it's you know that'd be substantial amount of income over the year over the twelve month period anyway that uh, um, would <laughs> impact your well it wouldn't impact my living standard but for a lot of people you know most people it would who are who are much younger. I'm luckily I've you know run through things and done done. I've been very lucky in the energy sector as well as in the technology sector with some of the stuff I've been involved with. Not always lucky. I've lost my shirt too a few times. But uh, uh, North Dakota has been really good for me. By the way, it's uh, it's been a state so has Texas, and so uh, I'm pleased with both. But on the other hand, if you look at the subsidies, going back to the topic, uh, if you look at the subsidies when you and one of the things coming up now with regard to wind power is some of these subsidies are going to be um, reduced or um, eliminated. And, and you're seeing some of our renewable energy friends get real excited about it. And of course, you know, on one hand, they're telling us this is the cheapest power out there. On the other hand, you know, don't take away our subsidy. And, and of course, one of the reasons it's cheap is because there is a subsidy. And the other reason is As a wind and solar producer, you generally can step in front of the baseload plants and sell your capacity. As a baseload plant, which is which is one that continually runs, I mean you pretty much you're obligated to continue to produce with with wind. If it's blowing right now, you can put your electricity under most of the grids. The way they operate, the wind people. You can step, it's like a movie theater.
1: Mr. Joe Dancy, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment. We're going to take a brief pause. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Joe Dancy, energy expert and educator, currently with Southern Methodist University. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe.
5: Hip-hop.
3: the
5: good thinkers and here's to the
3: lonely drinker but don't you know
1: welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe my name is Jason Spies thank you folks for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about coming up next we continue the conversation with Joe Dancy Energy expert and educator currently at Southern Methodist University. This is Joe Dancy.
2: You can put your electricity under most of the grids, the way they operate, the wind people. You can step, it's like a movie theater where the coal plants are somewhere in the mid, the back of the line. If if you're a, a solar or wind turbine generator, uh, you can step right up to the front of the line at the, at the movie theater, get your ticket and walk in. And if the wind stops blowing, then the, the coal guy has to come in and pay the you know pay for your ticket too so it's sort of it's interesting setup the way the regulations work and the technology works too
1: you're an educator joe dancy energy educator and energy expert with um smu you're at these days
2: i'm at the smu mcguire institute here in dallas and teaching at the uh, business school as well as the law school energy law energy finance energy investment um and, of course, all this stuff, Jason, energy is so cool because you, you're dealing with massive amounts of capital. You're dealing with massive uh, amounts of technology. You're you, Lately, you've been dealing with cutting-edge issues and cutting-edge whether you're drilling a well or whether you're transporting it or whether you're taking, like, natural gas and liquefying it. Who would have believed 30 years ago we'd have these huge facilities to liquefy natural gas and ship it from – the united states to lord knows um and and of course you have all these legal issues because the price goes up and people are are wildly happy and the price goes down and everybody's in bankruptcy court trying to figure out what we're going to do next and um which makes it exciting for you and me because we're sort of we get to sit and watch all this stuff and it's a it's like going to the circus sometimes it's uh, it's interesting to see and hopefully uh, you hope the tiger doesn't get out of the cage and come after us.
1: <laughs> Speaking of that a little bit with some of the things we've been talking about, um, wind, solar, renewables. I heard a term at the conference from one of the speakers where he said that he doesn't call them renewables. He calls them preferred because hydro and nuclear are also Renewable, and they're nowhere ever in the conversation. And I get—I got his point. I just wanted to get your thought on that a little bit. The preferred energy, as the term, versus renewable energy, because hydro and nuclear are renewable.
2: Good question. I really hadn't thought too much about that. It's, it was a uh, good one, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is a good one. I, I guess I have a little bit. I've heard. And I really haven't thought that much. The. Uh, Oh, the hydropower being renewable, but uh, that's that's interesting, and it is it is. Uh, uh, and of course, the problem with with hydro from tax subsidies and everything else, it's difficult. You got you start making dams these days. I mean, it was bad enough, not bad enough. I've been involved with a few dams that were built in Oklahoma maybe 30 years ago or 25 years ago doing some of the legal work and you know it was is even government land but the, the condemnation that's required and some of the issues when you start flooding areas that have not been flooded in the past and I you go into if it's a new dam these days you gotta you know you're moving people it gets incredibly expensive so it's uh, and as well as it takes forever to you know unlike a wind turbine or solar array that you can the project has a relatively short life a short startup period where you get the permits and get it put together a dam lasts for eight for ages which is which for me was fun because i just had gotten out of law school and i got to work on on the um i think it was called the mcgee creek uh, dam in oklahoma and it was kind of i mean there's a little bit of work every month on it and we it would never move very fast but and day i think the dam is uh his dam was up and running and filled and one of the concerns we had was there was some oil wells, some old oil wells in the area. And once you plug and start flooding that stuff, if you don't plug all the oil wells correctly, you're going to have a, you know, an inland inland pond with a bunch of um, <laughs> oil on it. And I, I don't think it was used to generate electricity. I think it was mainly drinking water. But, um, yeah, so the, the yeah, the water hydro as a electrical source is is another huge issue and boy the interesting thing with the hydro though you go back and you read about niagara falls when they first tried to figure out you know westinghouse and tesla tried to figure out how the hell to harness that water power and it's just fascinating um you know the history behind all that and the fact that alternating current was the only way they were able to get that Power from Niagara Falls all the way to Buffalo, and it never would have worked with direct current. And the big fight back then between Edison with direct current and Westinghouse and Tesla with alternating current, and the millions they spent to to build the you know the hydro facilities they have there. That's one area. If I ever get a chance, I need to make a side trip one of these years to go up to Buffalo to see if I can visit some of the uh, some of the hydro plants. I don't even know security wise. I'm not sure they'd give tours anymore but I sure as heck would like to see that cuz it's a the falls is beautiful itself but I just like to see the electrical equipment and stuff up there
1: anything else on the horizon for Mr. Joe Dancy as we kind of gear up for the summer and take a look at what we have in front of us I see that you know ace pass that's something that was is now done being political and now part of a reality uh new green deal you know is in in kind of I guess a reality so to speak the presidential uh, debates have started, which is a, a kind of a scary reality that's now started. So um, what what kind of stuff you got planned for the summer?
2: Oh, really? Uh, actually, I'm going to go up to upper Michigan to an old uh, copper mining district back during the Civil War. It's all abandoned now. And we're doing some ground penetrating radar work with regard to uh, some of the facilities they had there. And actually, we're going to uh, to its a what's abandoned graveyard and we're gonna run ground penetrating radar to see the extent we we know there's a number because of the headstones, we know there's a number of people buried there, but we're not quite sure, you know, how the extent of the graveyard. Of course we're not gonna do any archaeology digging in the graveyard, but we do it, it will it'll give us some historical perspective as to and do a little bit of forensic science as to as to anything that we find in some of these some of these old abandoned ghost towns that uh, sort of dot in the ghost mines and of course the ghost mines are all plugged up right now but that's my uh, that's my uh summer uh trek and i'm also going to go up to uh, i'd really like to go up to toledo to see the to see the uh glass museums up there and there's something i this is sort of an interesting uh, history uh, most people don't realize that Um, you know, Libby glass and everything. The reason they're in Toledo is because number one, there's a bunch of really good clean sand up there. And the other reason is, is because they had, they found a bunch of natural gas up there and essentially, uh, and when they found the natural gas, natural gas is hot enough to be able to, um, melt the, the silica. And so, uh, it made, that's why, toledo is the glass country it's because natural gas and you know these old oceans that left all this sand so it's sort of a uh interesting history but uh other than that that's gonna get geared up to get ready to teach in the fall
1: final thoughts as we wind down of course you know i like to give guests final words so take the floor however you want reiterate recap we'll just go ahead sir
2: well, I think the the energy sector is going to be really interesting this summer if Raymond James is correct with their report that just came out uh, just today, actually uh, uh, dealing with inventories, oil inventories. I think we're going to see higher prices, which I think is going to stabilize things uh, in the energy sector. So, so all you know, full steam ahead, Jason. I'm I'm pretty optimistic.
1: And that was Joe Dancy with Southern Methodist University energy educator and expert right here on the multimedia cafe to listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews visit the crudelife.com that's the crudelife.com the multimedia cafe is part of the crude life media Network check us out on Facebook and Twitter all of those social media links can be found at the crudelife.com. That's going to do it for today's episode of the Multimedia Cafe. We'll be back tomorrow at this time on this radio station. And for those of you downloading us on podcasts or maybe on iTunes, thank you very much. And if you could leave a comment, I found out this weekend how important those are. So apparently, if you like the show, please leave a comment. We'd appreciate it very much. Helps our ranking out. And uh, yeah, thank you. I just found that out. So I'm not sure how to ask except for if you like it. Leave a comment. That's about all I can really ask of you. So thank you very much. We'll be back tomorrow, this time on this radio station. From the staff here at the Multimedia Cafe, my name is Jason Spice, asking to save life and enjoy the spice.
5: Coming back home.
4: It's time.
3: Hamburger, steaks, holiday ends. That's the kind of world that I live in I play a different town most every night Love on my woman, write a new song That's my life Well, that's my life Yes, y'all, and I love it well that's my life, there ain't nothing else in the world above it. And I see people all alone picking their guitars, playing their songs, and I tell them, forget it. Cause you can't fake it, you're gonna make it, you gotta live it. I got a big bus, with a TV and a bar, and a little room in the back for me and my old guitar gotta stop and fuel up every 500 miles give a picture to the waitress eat a breakfast country style cause that's my life yes yeah, y'all and i love it that's my life there ain't nothing else in the world above it I see people all alone picking their guitars, playing their songs. I tell them, forget it. Cause you can't fake it, if you're gonna make it, you gotta live it. We get home from Nashville on a Monday night, record songs on Tuesday, and on Wednesday we take out the wife. But then on Thursday night, it's back on the road. I don't care if it's North Dakota or Southern Minnesota just as long as I grow. 'Cause well, that's my life yes y'all and I love it well, that's my life there ain't nothing else in the world above it and I see people all alone picking their guitars playing their songs and I tell them forget it cause you can't fake it you're gonna make it, you gotta live it. Yeah, brother, you can't fake it. If you're gonna make it, you gotta live it.
4: Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery.
0: Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken.
1: I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact.
2: You tell the facts.